This episode is sponsored by Toner Microphones, your sound master. Toner provides the best audio solution for podcasters, content creators, and people who work from home. Today on Growth Mindset University. One person tries to run off the conveyor belt and they get vaporized. That is how it feels, even though that's not the reality. You can't leave the conveyor belt and things can be really good or even better than they would have been. You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. School, college, and education. It's something that I don't think that we've discussed on Growth Mindset University before. I'm kidding, of course. We are talking about that again today with a gentleman called Blake Bowles. Blake is a writer, speaker, adventurer, and advocate for self-directed learning. He's spent more than a decade working with unconventionally educated teenagers through the trip-leading company he founded, Unschool Adventures. Originally from California, Blake has lived and traveled across the world. And his new book is called, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? His previous books include The Art of Self-Directed Learning, Better Than College, and College Without High School. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the Christian Science Monitor, Psychology Today, Fox Business, USA Today, all the things, NPR, Affiliate Radio, and the blogs of Wired and the Wall Street Journal. And today's topic is, as I mentioned, school, college, and education as a whole, specifically his most recent book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? We discuss alternatives to traditional schooling. Now, you can connect with Blake on LinkedIn. He is very accessible on LinkedIn, Blake Bowles on LinkedIn. You can also visit blakebowles.com to follow Blake's work and all of his adventures. And you can share this episode with your friends with the link jordanparis.com slash EP199 for episode 199. We're at episode 199. It's pretty exciting. The next episode will be episode 200, and it's with a, a very special guest that you're not going to want to miss. But as for today, episode 199 with Blake Bowles. All right, I'm here with Blake Bowles. You can visit Blake at blakebowles.com. He's got his new book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? It is on Amazon. You can get it also at blakebowles.com slash why. And that is not the word why. That is the letter why. Blakebowles.com slash the letter why. <laughs> why are you still sending your kids to school? And, that, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, we're going to talk about how to think radically different about education, schooling, and learning, especially for parents with kids in K through 12. But also we're going to talk about college uh, a lot as well. Uh, Blake, welcome. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. So why this book? Why now? Well, it was not related to the pandemic in any way. I was thinking about writing this for a long time. Uh, I was I originally wrote books for young people as my audience, and I finally realized that it was parents who were reading the books and giving them to their kids. And so I decided to finally write a book for parents, even though I'm not a parent myself. And it's meant for parents who have kids 
who are just clearly not a good fit for their school, public or private, that they're attending. And so they, the parents see that there's suffering, they see that there's disconnection, but they think that the only alternatives are kind of traditional homeschooling, which isn't very appealing, or maybe a Montessori or a Waldorf school. And so this question says, you know, the, excuse me, the question of the book emphasizes that we shouldn't just assume that you have to send your kids to school and that there aren't any alternatives. So it kind of puts the burden yeah. on parents to think, okay, why am I still sending my kids to school? How do I justify that? Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned the suffering. What, what kind of suffering do you are you seeing? You know, for me, I was able to perform pretty well in school. I could play the school game, but I still felt <laughs> uh, very bored for a lot of my time there. I felt very frustrated. I didn't have the words to explain it, but the forced group work, uh, having so little the autonomy. The forced group work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I just have so much memory of wasted time. So and I, much wasted I thought time. I, the time of it. my life is literally being wasted here in this classroom. And I was one of the successful students. And so there are all the other students who are not What do you mean by good, successful student? Like oh, in terms conventionally of successful in terms okay. of like I could quickly adapt to whatever was being asked of me. I could get good grades. And so for all the other kids who are you know not being told that they're successful – uh, I mean, there's mental health problems. Uh, in the book, I talk about stress, boredom, and engagement as the three metrics that we could really look at. So if school is working for your kid, then your kid is probably engaged most of the time. They're not bored very often. And their stress is like the positive variety of stress, like a kid who signs up for a school play and then gets a little bit nervous about that. And that's a good stress. But so many kids have this toxic level of stress, just constantly worrying about homework and yeah, these assignments right. and social situations. It's for those kids I wrote, for whom I wrote the book. Yeah, I actually saw something from uh, uh, one of a recent podcast guest tweeted this as well about homework, David Perrell. He was like, school or homework is taking kids away from their families. And I was like, that's an interesting perspective. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a parent should be someone who just like unconditionally loves and supports their kid. And when homework is this thing that can kind of get in between that relationship because it turns the parent into a, a homework cop. Yeah. And and that's that's just not what home should be. But what should there be? Like, I mean, there's definitely a purpose to homework or so the schools would say, um, you know, like what what's the alternative here to make sure kids are, are learning? Uh, or is that just like one problem in a, in a sea? I mean, yeah, it is yeah, one it, problem it is. in a sea of a thousand <laughs> problems. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Jordan, I, I am into the idea of consensual education or consensual uh, learning. Big okay. time, voluntary. And, and so, yes. yes, voluntary, consensual. If a kid actively says yes to something, then they will work really hard on it. And that's not just kids. That's people of any ages. Yeah. So it, if we're given these, these arbitrary assignments yeah. that mean nothing and have no connection to our lives, there's no clear connection to our, our future ability to gain skills or do something that we really want to do, then why would we work hard on it? We'll just resist it or we'll do it half-assedly. That's yeah, the it, life of a kid in school for 12 years. Right. It's like uh, all participation is involuntary. And uh, if you step out of line, you'll be disintegrated by plasma ray. Yeah. That's how it feels <laughs> to a lot of kids, I think. <laughs> yeah. I even like, I, and I reference this a lot too. I, I posted it a long time ago. I originally found it from Jarek. Jarek Robbins shared it on his like Facebook uh, profile. And it was like this 
this path, this, I can never describe it. Like you're on a conveyor belt going through school, like people like in a factor, like people on a conveyor belt going through like the school, the, the get married, have kids, get a job. Uh, and, and one person tries to run off the conveyor belt and they get vaporized. <laughs> I mean, that is how it feels, even though that's not the reality. You can leave the conveyor belt and things can be really good or even better than they would have been. This episode of Growth Mindset University is sponsored by Toner. In fact, I'm recording this ad right now with a Toner Q9 microphone. It's an all-in-one solution. The Toner Q9 mic kit includes a condenser microphone, a metal shock mount, a scissor arm stand with adjustable suspension, a pop filter, a foam mic cover, and more. The cardioid condenser capsule enables the Q9 to capture pristine sound quality and cancel noise from surroundings. Perfect for people who don't have a soundproof studio. For example, I'm recording this in a very echoey room with no carpet. If I were recording this on my Blue Yeti, you would hear the sound bouncing off the walls. But since I'm recording this with my Toner Q9, it sounds like I'm in a studio-grade room. So if you're a podcaster, the Q9 mic kit is your best choice at only $69.99. And Toner is offering an exclusive 20% discount code for you with the code JordanParis, capital J, capital P, no spaces. Available at jordanparis.com slash toner. That's jordanparis.com slash T-O-N-O-R. Also available on Amazon. So what are some of these alternatives? I mean, you mentioned like homeschooling, that uh, doesn't really seem too appealing. And then people are like, uh, you know, I mean, parents, they have a lot of them have jobs. Um, it's not really a, a, a feasible option for a lot of uh, homes. And then you have the side. I, I, you did a podcast with. I actually mentioned so you and you heard it. I mentioned in a an intro to episode maybe one hundred eighty nine of the podcast. Um, I mentioned an intro like you know Harvard. It, there was a, 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 a something published in, you know, like Harvard Business Review or something like that, uh, you know, kind of condemning homeschooling, like beware of homeschooling. I don't know what the exact title is. You actually did usually did a podcast with the um, with, with the person who wrote that. Right. Yeah. The Harvard law professor, Elizabeth Bartholet. She I called I, for a yeah. presumptive ban on homeschooling. And it's so, it's so cool that you, you take on, you, you don't, I mean, you, I imagine you don't like that viewpoint and you, you like, that's probably struck a chord with you and like, but you reached out to have like a, an hour and 40 minute conversation with the person who wrote that. And I'm actually going to, uh, in the show notes of this episode, I will, I will link to, to that podcast. Um, but homeschooling, you know, what about homeschooling? What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I grew up thinking that homeschooling was just for super religious people, you know, super weird kids, kids who can handle the social environment of school. Like it's a, it's a last ditch effort. And what I've come to realize after working with, not with so many conventional homeschoolers, but more with unschoolers is that homeschooling laws in the U S are pretty incredible. They're very flexible. They let families take many different paths. And first of all, but is that the curse too? Uh, yes, that, I mean that's why people like Miss Bartholet uh, are worried about homeschooling because the, the laws are so uh, flexible. You can do some potentially bad things with your kids too. But in my experience, the vast majority of homeschooling families 
are not trying to replicate school at home. And that's what I long assumed that homeschooling was. It's like it's all the worst parts of school minus the friends. And so mm. why would anyone homeschool except if you're just trying to shelter your kids? But it turns out that while some families do do that, there's a lot of families who are uh, eclectic homeschoolers or they are world schoolers. So they take their kids traveling or, again, unschooling is what I've mostly ended up working with. And these are families who just focus primarily on self-directed learning and helping their kids follow their interests, develop skills. But it always kind of originates from the kid and their intrinsic motivation. And the parents aren't the the teachers or the bosses of their kids anymore. They are like the business consultants for their kids. They're like, listen, I'm going to offer some advice. I will share my expertise with you. But fundamentally, this is your business, you know, aka this is your life. And so it's up to you. So it puts a higher level of freedom and responsibility in the kids' hands. And I think that's a really great way to do homeschooling. You are still technically a homeschooler in the eyes of the law, but you are not a school-at-home person. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Grant Cardone uh, homeschools his kids. He was like, you know, because uh, I was like, why? You know, he's like, because, you know, you see schools? I mean, they they even look like prisons. Uh, but you know he he travels obviously uh they they go with them uh everywhere and uh, and they they get to i mean he anyway we talked about it for a little bit and um you know it seems to seems to take the approach that you're talking about here but like you do you have do you have data like that that i mean i don't know what data you would even find um but like like how do we know homeschooling works it's, it's a good question. Not many people ask that question uh, because the data is thin out mm. there, but there mm. is some good data to be found. The thing is, there are some organizations like the the HSLDA, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which is essentially you know a, a pretty uh, religious, religiously based organization, and they share not very true research. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, if you compare groups of homeschoolers who are generally uh, come from more um, I know middle upper class families to standard public school students. You'll say, look, the homeschoolers perform better on tests. They get into colleges, but it's not a fair comparison. You have to match background characteristics, you know, uh, you know, family income levels. And so the few people who have done that kind of appropriate social science research have shown that homeschooling does not help or hinder a kid's outcomes in terms of their ability to perform on standardized tests. Uh, get into college, perform in Standardized tests are just stupid. They are. I mean, they're in the, the same way that a college degree is helpful for an employer to like sort through a bunch of applicants. Standardized tests are helpful for colleges to sort through a bunch of applicants. And so they serve an institution. And so ugh, they have a certain utility in that function. Yeah. But yeah, from the perspective of a kid and from a parent and spending your life preparing for these these tests, yeah, they're completely stupid. Um, so homeschooling is not going to help or hurt a kid. It's kind of this neutral path that you can take. And I think that's actually quite reassuring because it doesn't lead to these expectations that homeschooling is going to make your kid some sort of superstar, nor is it going to damn them to a life of, you know, living in your parents' basement, wiping flaming hot Cheeto dust off your chest for the next 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I put out Something I don't remember what it was because I post so many things about education on stories and where wherever. And uh, somebody replied, I, I, "Let's pretend I said school school is bad. 
let's pretend. And someone said, yeah, I would agree, you know, and I've heard this many times. Uh, I would agree, you know, with college, yes. Uh, but with K through 12, I think that's fine. Um, what do you, I mean, what, I mean, what do you wish was like different about K through 12? I mean, is it fine? Is it not fine? <laughs> I mean, for some kids, it's fine. Really, they go to school. They like going to school. Maybe there are some negative parts, but the trade-offs are worth it. And so, great. More power to you. I'm not saying burn down all the schools or you know, right, destroy right, right. the public schools. No, certainly not. But for those kids who are not engaged, they're super stressed out, uh, they don't see the point in what they're doing, they don't feel a sense of belonging within the school community, then they are just kind of conscripts. They are they are serving their sentence in this public school serving uh, their sen- that's or, or private school mm. environment. Um, this happens with private schools too. And you're just there and kind of doing what you're told, going through the motions, you're learning how to do as little effort, excuse me, to put in as little effort as possible to get the maximum reward. And and like, is that how we want to train entire generations of young people to essentially like game, game the system as best they can? Oh, that's, that's, and that's what everyone does. Everyone games the system. I game the system so hard in college. Like you, you don't even want to know <laughs> like but i gain the system real hard and you know you you point out in chapter five of your book that uh you know people aren't there for the learning they are there for the piece of paper i mean because people love it when when class is canceled um that shouldn't be the case if they were they, they if, if they weren't there to serve more you know merely a, a prison sentence um but but they're 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 doing their time you know and and so they love when class is canceled um, so, what are some other examples? You, you listed some great ex- points in your book about uh, uh, proving that. So I, I want to mention that I actually have a bit more sympathy towards higher education than you might, Jordan, because uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's largely voluntary. Even though there are these, uh, these yes, yeah. you know, large pressures to go to college, fundamentally, you know, there's no compulsory education law for mm-hmm. college. There is for K through 12, um, or at least up until age 16 in most states. And so college is a choice, even if it's a pressure choice, even if there's these job market signaling functions that, you know, a college degree serves. And so that's why I've focused my efforts more on the K through 12 realm, because it really does feel like less of a choice. Uh, that being said, I could talk a lot more about the, the problems with higher education and uh, why young people go to college. Mm-hmm. But to go against higher education uh, is, is, I mean, it's a very controversial mm, thing. You know, like you, you mentioned that Peter Thiel quote in the book. Uh, everyone knows – was it Peter Thiel? Everyone knows that people with college degree- – no, no, no. Where? I wrote it down. Yeah. Uh, oh, education may be the only thing people still believe in the United States. To question education is really dangerous. It is the absolute taboo. It's like telling the world there's no Santa Claus. Uh, and then we – you go on to mention we have this quote-unquote pervasive faith in college. Yeah, it's our secular religion. It's the one thing we've all agreed upon. It's a good thing. More education can can never be bad. Essentially, everyone should get college degrees and then the world would be saved. You know, this is the one thing people on the left and the right can really agree agree upon. Mm. And that's it you know, we should pay attention to that, you know, when something becomes so pervasive. Um you know, who's benefiting from that? Who Yeah. But, you know, here's my take on it. If you want to be an employee making $50,000 per year, then go to college. 
That's my well, take. G- good luck. You know, maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. You know, with credential inflation, you can get if a, that's your a bachelor's degree and then do it. Yeah, but but I'm saying, Jordan, even a college degree won't guarantee that. Right. And and when we have everyone getting bachelor's degrees, uh, I just read a, a great kind of overview summary of how credential inflation has been taken off in the past 20 years. And it's credential inflation. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, so you have people getting filtered out of jobs that they could do a, a good job in simply because they don't have a four year degree. And that is just so one of the books I referenced in my book is The Case Against Education, written by this economist, Brian Kaplan. And he writes about how today getting, let's just say, a four year liberal arts degree uh, will likely serve you as an individual in terms of increasing your earning potential, but it does not serve society as a whole when everyone is getting these degrees and you know, throwing all these resources into, into getting these degrees that are not actually necessary in many cases. And so it's, uh, it's something that's going to bite us in the butt in the long run and might already be biting us in the butt. Oh, I think so. I was actually, I meant to mention it at the start of this podcast. It's June 22nd and the total student loan debt is $1.678 trillion. And that's about $37,873 per student. I checked that on usdebtclock.org as I uh, occasionally do. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's really biting a lot of people in the butt. I'm 22. I know a lot of people who suffer because of those numbers right there. It's crushing. And people, but like people, think about it. You know, I'm I'm 22 and I'm thinking of buying a home very soon. That's because I've been, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career so far. And, you know, I've taken a, a little bit of an untraditional path. But other 22-year-olds, like, you really don't think of a 22-year-old or a 23-year-old, someone my age, buying a home nowadays it's very i think it's much more rare but i was talking to like my grandparents and you know it was you know they bought a home uh you know back in the day they were like 21 for like for thirty two thousand dollars, and uh like but it was a, and it was a very normal thing uh and we were talking about it in terms of like the the cost of college uh, i forget what my grandma told me uh she paid for college but you know Obviously, it was it was expensive, relatively speaking, back then. But you know, obviously, not nearly as expensive compared to other things uh, today. It's you know, it's of course risen uh, disproportionately compared to other things. Risen twelve hundred percent since nineteen seventy eight, when you know healthcare costs, which bankrupts a lot of people, have only been up six hundred percent. Food only four hundred something percent. Um, so so yeah, I think that this student loan debt is a gigantic reason. Like it's setting people back literally like a decade or more in terms of buying a home and these major life events. I think it's a really bad thing. So Jordan, this is, I agree with you. And this is why I think that focusing on K through 12 is really important because that is the the era that sets up kids for kind of blindly going into college when they're not ready for it, when they're not really sure if they need it, when they're just doing it because I think of people, this yes, massive that, form of peer pressure. I think people are going because of this massive form of peer pressure and people are going if it's the default thing to do, to go, if you don't, if you're not sure. Yeah. I mean, just it, go, it, just it's go. The, it's the rite of passage that we have today for, for entering into adulthood. It's this quasi-religious experience, really. And, and so I think that when a lot of parents think about taking an alternative path uh, in the K through 12 years, they're worried because they imagine that that means you're stepping away from the college prep conveyor belt. And that may be true. 
And, and that's a very scary thing to do because we put so much emphasis on going to college. But what I try to argue with parents is that, yes, while stepping off that conveyor belt may be scary. Um, and that means that if your kid decides that she wants to go to college, then she'll be on a different timeline. Maybe that means she won't be able to go at age 18. Maybe she'll have to play catch up and go at age 20. That is still better than the other situation, which is your kid going straight into college because she assumes she has to, but she doesn't have a good reason. She just you know goes there because everyone else is doing it. She parties Social a lot. Group, yeah. She, yeah, she drops out after freshman or so- sophomore year. She's got student loan debt in the tens of thousands of dollars and has no degree to actually you know you do the job market signaling thing. And that is the situation that we have to prevent. And yet it happens to so many young people. Like I would much rather have a kid who is kind of trying to figure their stuff out at age 18 and not yet college ready. And they go a few years later than a kid who's age 22, uh, you know, doesn't have a degree, has a bunch of debt and still has no idea what they should be doing with their lives. So if I'm, you know, I'm 18, I just graduated high school and I don't know, you know, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't know if college is right for me. And so you're saying, like, like, what do I do while I'm waiting? Gap years. Wait for a year or two. Ga- gap, gap years. Well, don't just wait. Don't just sit there doing nothing. That's, right. that's kind of lame. <laughs> yeah. I, so in my second book, Better Than College, I, I wrote about kind of this concept of, of designing an edu- a curriculum for yourself uh, in the form of a gap year. And, and so it should look like, you know, there should definitely be some sort of work there, whether paid or, or volunteer. Yeah. Um, you, know, you also I, wrote a book called Self-Directed Learning. Does it yeah, have the a, art like, of self-directed learning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, some form of work or service, some form of travel, essentially get away from your home and go challenge yourself in the world one way or another. Stop yeah, yeah. doing what you've been doing. Get, get out of the, the warm embryo of your family's home. And, and that is what college represents to so many people is just getting away, doing something new, meeting new people. And so by all means, do that, but don't do it in this super expensive thing, you know, package deal we call college. There are so many other ways to get similar experiences, but it's scary because everyone else is going to college or it feels like that at least. Definitely. No, I think the approach that Dean, Dean Graziosi and I talked about with, with his daughter, um, who's, I, I mean, she's probably not, if, if she's, she's probably not even a teenager yet, but she's probably like 12. And, um, you know, she wants to be, uh, she loves art. She wants to be an interior designer, uh, as of, as of now, of course, uh, you know, that could always change, but you know, Dean is like, you know, you can go to college and, uh, you know, do the normal thing, get the internship and get, get a job, or you can, um, you know, you can write the best sales letter of your life to the top interior designers in America and, you know, telling them why in that best sales letter of your entire life, why you'll be the best employee ever for the next year for free, by the way. Um, and it's going to be a lot, you know, even though you're not earning any money, like, I mean, would you rather like go learn about that at college for 20, 30, $40,000 per year? Or would you rather, uh, you know, even if you, if you, if you have to pay everything by yourself, like say your living expenses are like $30,000 per year, like it's still, and, and that's like, that's pretty uh uh liberal uh as as an 18 year old like that that would you know that would be a lot you'd be fine Um, yeah yeah you'd be fine um it's still more cost effective and i'd argue that the education is way way better i think that's a good path i think that's a good thing to do instead of sitting around waiting 
I, I completely agree. But then again, that person knows what she's going to do. Yeah. And so you have to mm. set that up. You know, that's what you're doing when you're helping a kid take a more self-directed path in their K through 12 years. You are accumulating self-knowledge. And it's often a very difficult thing to witness as a parent because a lot of times it, it looks like your kid is sitting around doing nothing or they're being bored. But they have to experience this boredom. They have to experience what it feels like to kind of have nothing to do in order to know what, what a productive path might even look like. You know, kids in regular school are given no time to reflect. It's just a, you know, a constant series of tasks and you move on to the next thing and then you have a little bit of breathing room in the summer vacation and then it's right back to the grind. And so how can we expect these, these young people to have any sort of, of self-knowledge, to make any sort of informed choice about higher education or whether they should put tens of thousands of dollars onto their proverbial credit card, uh, which yeah, can never yeah. be discharged? Um, never. <laughs> yeah. At age 18, that's, that's a, a crazy thing to do. Yeah. I th I've thought about on a micro level. The, you know, when you're constantly engaged, 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 which a lot of us are with our phones, you know, you don't really have time for ideas, you know, when you're constantly engaged, 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 you know, one screen to the next. But I never thought about it, like you said, like you mentioned there on a macro level as a, as a student, as a young, as a young student, you know, what, what that might do to you. And that's, that's a very interesting idea. So like what is like the ideal thing to do in K, like K through 12? Like what, what, what should, you know, if, if, <laughs> if I'm raising a kid, like what, what should, what should I be doing? I'll, I'll listen to this 10 years from now. All right. Sounds good. Uh, you should be helping your kid find whatever uh, it engages them. And by that, I mean, um, whatever they will do uh, on their own, that is a hard, challenging thing. You want kids to voluntarily take on difficult challenges that they will learn and grow from. And the hard part here is being really agnostic about what that looks like. Because as a parent, you often want a, your kid to succeed in these traditional forms, you know, uh, through academics, through music, through sports. And for some kids, yeah, that's, that's where they become engaged. But, you know, other kids are going to spend... Uh, time going down these internet rabbit holes. Other kids are going to get into crocheting or they're going to, you know, fall in love with Vikings or horses or something like that. Something which has a lot less traditional cachet. And so the idea is to follow your kids' interest and help kind of nurture them without being this tiger mom or helicopter parent kind of yeah, that's uh, no good. dictating every, every move and help them kind of enjoy the challenges along the way and find new ways to challenge themselves, both individually and within groups. Um, the most engaging period in my life when I was younger was whenever I went to summer camp and I had the choice to, you know, if I wanted to learn how to canoe, I could try that. If I wanted to learn how to rock climb, I could try that. I ended up getting into windsurfing. I would have never even, you know, considered that a possibility for myself. And the fact that I could choose what I was doing and I could excel in it and I can go deep into that as I wanted to, that was the most empowering thing for me. And so I often say, let's take the summer camp model and make that the primary thing that kids do. And then, you know, these mandatory academics to make sure kids are exposed to different areas of, of life. You know, yes, I see the value in that. Why can't that be the thing we do for just a few months a year and the rest of the year, you know, just help kids get engaged in whatever, <laughs> whatever floats their boat. What if my kid just likes to play video games and stare at his phone? <laughs> well, 
I hear that a lot. And I think that a lot of that is in reaction to um, the life of school that is imposed on kids. And so a a game, especially a really excellent modern video or computer game, is an area in which a kid has a sense of control. And where they, kind of like me with going to summer camp, can choose their challenges. They can excel. They can go. They can learn as quickly as they want to learn. And like when a kid is playing World of Warcraft – and they complete a quest, you know, that doesn't mean the game is over. That means that they get another harder quest. And that is a really important thing to pay attention to. And so a lot of the time that that parent, excuse me, that kids are spending in video games might actually be positive, productive time. Um, again, I think that some video games are better than others. Minecraft, Fortnite, you know, those are high quality games. The Sims, great. Then there's Candy Crush and other games which really, sure. you know, resemble something more like uh, compulsive gambling. Yeah. And so the high quality games, I wouldn't actually be that concerned about as a parent. Um, also within the unschooling world, there's this thing we talk about called de-schooling, which is a period when a kid is kind of resetting their motivational system because it's kind of like when you've been an employee for someone for a long time, and then you decide you want to become self-employed, you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. You, you need to like, remember what right. it's like to motivate yourself and take responsibility. Uh-huh. And so, the rule of thumb in this community is that for every year that your kid has been in school, once you take them out of school, uh, give them at least one month to de-school, uh, where they might just be scrolling on their phones and playing games and watching Netflix. But that is them kind of remembering that uh, intrinsic motivation is is a difficult thing to deal with. And it, again, the self-employment analogy is apt. Yeah, I, I, it's, when you're talking about video games, some you know, partly being beneficial, I am reminded of, um, I'm actually going to do it today. Uh, uh, cause I, 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 my, my cousin was around a uh, little cousin. who's like, he's like 13 and, uh, he left his PS4 here, uh, with, uh, with Madden. So, you know, I used to play as a kid, you know, very young, uh, up until I left to go to college, actually, I played Madden and I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even actually play the game. I would, I would do franchise, do simulate. And I, 95% of the time I was doing simulation, like in, and just, I would do like a 25 year franchise. I just, I loved the numbers. Like it was real strategy to take a team from like, you know, bad to, to good over the course of like, you know, two or three years and rebuild and, you know, and draft and just crunch these numbers in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it was, I think it did a lot for me. And like, what am I going to do today when I play it? Like, I'm going to, I'm not going to actually play the game. Like I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to start a franchise and I'm going to go through the simulation <laughs> and, uh, maybe play two or three years and see what I could do. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with like, uh, the Browns or something, see what I could do with them. <laughs> I played a ton I think of it's games beneficial. too. Yeah, yeah. I think that playing role-playing games, playing you know first-person shooters, I think that there were a number of benefits to my like critical thinking and cognitive development and ability to work on a team, ability to think long-term that w- were happening. And so modern adolescents are in this really sticky situation because in years past, and I'm talking like 100 years ago or more, you know, a 14-year-old had real responsibilities. They had real... Uh, abilities to contribute to the world. And that felt good because everyone wants to contribute somehow. And today, uh, adolescents are in this limbo period where, you know, we've, we've outlawed 
you know, horrible child labor, which is a good thing. Um, we have, you know, genuinely complex jobs that, you know, do require further training or development. And so they can't really contribute to the world at all. Yet, you know, kind of historically, evolutionarily, they have, you know, that that's when they've been primed to to start acting like adults. You know, this whole concept of adolescence is a new invention. It just hasn't been around for very long. Yeah. And so what do you do if you're 13 or 14 and you don't connect with the challenges of school? I think something like video games, something like Madden or Final Fantasy or Counter-Strike, like that's a world where you can go and you can you can be important and you can do things that challenge you and you can move as fast as you want to move. And that is the world that school does not offer. Mm hmm. What about like other alternatives, uh, you know, other than homeschooling? Are there yeah. other alternatives, uh, homeschooling or go to school or what else is there? Yeah, that's right. We got distracted from that. So as you mentioned, a lot of parents simply can't homeschool because they're working or they're single parents or, you know, there's a million reasons. And so that's why I, I never say homeschooling is the ultimate answer. Uh, there are lots of small alternative schools or self-directed learning centers that are essentially like unschooling. They're like they're places where a kid can go and they can be self-directed. And there's very few things that they're required to do aside from just be civil people. And these places uh, will serve the babysitting function of school while you know, also giving your kid a lot of freedom and responsibility. And a lot of people don't know about these. And so I, this is a big function of the book is to talk about these places like Sudbury Schools or uh, Agile Learning Centers or Liberated Learner Centers. And there's still few and far between. Um, there's more of them on the East Coast of the U.S. than on the West Coast. Uh, and they're growing. And so there actually is a pretty good chance that you might live near one of these. And so that's a place where a kid can go and have this same high level of freedom and responsibility. And you don't have to worry about, you know, having a parent at home. Yeah. And then, you know, there's virtual schools, there's hybrid schools. There are these, you know, traditional progressive schools like Montessori and Waldorf. And those can be great fits uh, for some kids sometime, but they're definitely not the ultimate answers either. Mm -hmm. Do you have... Do you know anyone who did not take the traditional K through 12 path that, you know, ended up really great? Like, do you, do you know anyone like, like, like any examples? Can you share some of those? Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by really great, Jordan? Do you mean famous? Do you mean? No, no, that just, that, that it turned out really well. I, I know uh, so many. That, that exemplify, like, you really don't have to go to school. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is not a super sexy answer, but, you know, having worked with teenage unschoolers who have essentially had no curriculum doing this for about 15 years now, you know, I have many friends who are in their 20s or some in their early 30s now who are just, you know, normal, functional adults who have jobs that they enjoy. Their lives aren't perfect, but it's like, what more can we ask for? You know, I, we could talk about the the standout people like Billie Eilish or uh, oh, oh yeah. yeah yeah she was unschooled and mm -hmm. her brother too. Mm -hmm. You know, we could talk about um, Chris Paolini who wrote Aragorn the the book series about dragons. Uh, but I don't think that those stories are super helpful to be honest right. because they, I, they set this incredibly high bar. You know, it's like Mark Zuckerberg and, and Bill Gates. You know, yeah, not, every, not every Harvard dropout. 
Yeah. <laughs> so no, not uh, every Harvard dropout with like millions of dollars in revenue turns <laughs> like, like it's, it's, I don't think those are like, even I, who's not a big proponent of college, you know, like I see those examples and I'm like, those just are, are awful examples. They had, they had so much revenue coming in. Like it was, it's just, they're bad yeah. examples. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. So there's lots of them out there. Um, I started this website a couple of years ago called grownunschoolers.com, which is just long form profiles of kids who were unschooled for most of their life. And they talk about how it turned out and they you know, are sometimes critical of, of their certain aspects of their upbringing. But overall, it, it's not a very complicated recipe here. It's like you have unconditional support from your parents. You're given a lot of autonomy, but also a lot of responsibility. And if you do this in a context like the United States, where there are lots of different options and paths for going from a non-traditional K through 12 into career or college, um, community college is a really big advantage for non-traditionally educated kids because it can uh, you can sign up for community college classes starting at age 16 or sometimes earlier. You can yeah, start I think earning it's great. credits and yeah. it's cheap. You know, it's uh, usually the it's professors what college are really- should cost. It really is. I know. It's like a couple hundred bucks, right? And so, um, you know, using community college or, you know, sometimes using other mechanisms like dual enrollment, um, you know, yeah, these was, young people- Yeah, awesome option. Yeah. yeah, they transfer into either higher education or into college, or sometimes they just take multiple gap years. They end up traveling a lot. They start their own businesses. I mean, this is just like what youth should be. And so, yeah, they turn out fine. And, and every once in a while, they don't turn out fine. But you know what? That happens too. And that happens with high schoolers too. How many high schoolers go through the whole curriculum and they come out the other side and they have no idea what they're doing or they make some bad choices or they, they flounder for a while. And so, you know, failures to launch happen everywhere all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking to Blake Bowles. Go to blakebowles.com slash why for his most recent book. Why are you still sending your kids to school? We're not done yet, Blake. Uh, so I want to talk about college a little bit more. Do you think the vast majority of people should go to college? Probably not. Okay. Um, you know, if you're talking about college as we currently have it and, uh, no, no, but, but what does it even mean to say that the vast majority, it's like, uh, we've already talked a bit about credential inflation. Uh, we could have everyone in the United States go to college and get a degree and it would essentially become the new high school diploma. It would become the the, the new standard. Um, yes. It's but, kind of becoming that. Yeah, it is. It's moving in that direction. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, what does a high school diploma actually show? It doesn't show that you have actually remembered, uh, you know, a large number of skills that you can now perform on command. It shows that you have a certain set of personality traits essentially. And that means you're obedient. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so a certain level of conformity, sure. Like ability to, to be a team player, also conscientiousness, a certain amount of diligence or Uh work ethic. Um, the problem is that nowhere in this high school diploma signal or in the college, uh, less so in the college diploma signal is, uh, you know, capacity for original thought, uh, capacity for taking initiative. Like that's just not demonstrated in these, these signals. And so, Definitely not. And so th- that's what I'm more 
interested in. And so to say that everyone should go to college, it's like, well, no, everyone should have an opportunity to, to you know, devel- develop some initiative, uh, to, you know, have some creative expression mm-hmm. and also, yeah, some basic skills. I'm just not that concerned about basic skills. Uh, it seems like most people pick them up pretty well on their own, especially in our media saturated environment. People learn to read and write and speak pretty well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, speaking about the, uh, actually, yeah, I will comment on that. You know, I think after a certain point, um, you know, like obviously you need, you need to like learn to to do that kind of stuff, like uh, read, write, speak, vocabulary uh, to a certain point. Uh, but I think it, you know, by by college, I just I just don't know how much of that is necessary. Like how much more of this, uh, that type of learning is really necessary. Like I, you know, I'm watching my little brother go through this awful calculus and I, you know, I went through the BS, like I failed the same math class, like two times, did that multiple times with math and like, and, and, uh, you know, I'm just, my uncle and I are looking at each other. Like, why, why does it like, why does this even matter? Like, like we're, we're like, it's such a waste of time. Like, like it's so worthless. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's this discussion about preparing people for jobs in college versus preparing them to be critical thinkers or or you know big thinkers, and that's sort of the enlightening aspect of college. And I, I do think that there is some value in that, and I experienced that in my own time in college. Um, you know, I thought I wanted to study. Well, excuse me. I thought I wanted to be an astrophysicist uh, going into college, so and that was my major. And I did a couple years of of math and physics, and realized this is actually not something I want to do. And I, I probably could have only figured that out by by giving it a shot. But be, becoming a research scientist was not ultimately in the cards for me. And I was taking elective classes in other fields and that's when i discovered this whole world of alternative education and and it was by reading these good books that i would have had much less of a chance of stumbling onto were i not in college um so i, I do like to stand up for college's ability to like help people discover new worlds and th- through you know really good discussion uh you know really be- become more critical thinkers i don't think that college should be conceived of as only uh, preparation for future jobs. Uh, so I think the more important question is how do you you help that kind of enlightening or mind expanding or critical thinking function uh, thrive in college? And sometimes that looks like taking, yeah, classes that don't have much seeming relevance, like literature classes. Uh, you know, I learned a lot from taking classes. I think that's a good class. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you can also very easily argue that literature class has no direct right. applicability to your future job prospects. And, and that's yeah. that's the argument that a lot of people make when saying that, that college is, is worthless. Um, Top know. three classes, I'd say like in no specific order, like comp, composition, like writing. Uh, that's what made, when you said literature, it made me think of that, even though it's not exactly the same thing. Um public speaking and I don't know what else, but yeah. So one of my favorite books about college is Excellent Sheep by William Duresowitz. And he makes the argument that college done right is about 
forcing you to learn how to think. And that means forcing you to, to learn to be skeptical. And that's what thinking critically really means. To not accept received wisdom, uh, whether yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, from yeah. your blind parents, from society. Yeah. yeah. And so how do you do that? He says, if college is just about job preparation, you are missing out on this whole aspect of learning how to think, mm. learning how to be skeptical. And we don't actually want to live in a world where higher education is essentially just vocational training. And so there is a place for college and for the liberal arts. But when you say, you know, should most people go through that? Um, maybe if we were in Europe and this was a fully subsidized higher education system where essentially as a young person, you're only gambling with your time and not your money. Then maybe you could say, yeah, more people should go to college because the, the potential downside is lower. But in the United States where so many students essentially have to take on large amounts of debt, then I think the question, the answer has to be different, which is no, not everyone should give it a shot. Yeah. What about the argument that I know you talk about in your book uh, what about the argument that like oh college graduates earn more money mm. well, yeah, is, that, what what truth is there to that and where what is why is that you know could that be is that misleading what is, what do you think about that yeah so yeah again the authority on that subject is the economist brian kaplan and mm -hmm. he in his book um uh, the case against education just broke down this question into such fine-grained detail it, it was amazing and the answer is yes. If you aggregate all the data, then on the average, the college graduate will earn more money than the high school graduate. But there's so much nuance in uh, the choice of major, in the background uh, characteristics of the student who's, who's coming there. Um, and so if you are someone who is coming from a well-resourced family who has a high inclination towards academics that has been there ever since you were a kid um, and who has a pre-existing passion or interest for something which is in a, a higher earning field. You know, you've been passionate about engineering ever since you were six years old. Then like, hell yes, go to college and you are going to you're going to reap the economic rewards of of that degree of that training. Of course. But, you know, for questionable students, people who have like mixed interest in academics, um, who will have to take out large amounts of loans, uh, who don't have a clear passion for what they're going into. Like that mm. is such a dicey proposition. And especially if they're going to end up in a lower compensated major, you know, if yeah. you become a sociology major, then, you know, Brian Kaplan says, whoa, 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 put the pump the brakes there because you might be um, actually giving yourself a negative economic reward. Mm, wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what his research shows. Uh, it's you more spend nuanced a lot of, than just college graduates earn more. Way more. Oh, it's so much more I'm nuanced. It's, it's this giant spectrum of possibilities. And so it really can work out well. And so when you have a family friend who says, well, my kid went to college and now he's earning six figures at age 25, it's like, yeah, that's probably true. And we're not going to discount those stories. But uh, – you you probably don't hear about you know the kids who go to college for three years and then drop out have fifty thousand dollars in debt and now they're like working no. at a service industry job or the ones who get a degree and they just you know never really use it 
And they're competing with all these other people who have these degrees that they just sort of got because I'm supposed to get a degree. And and that's a tough job market too. So it's nuanced. Well, so do you have kids, Blake? No, I don't. Okay. Well, pretend you do. Put you through this (laughs) thought experiment. Like ideal path from birth to say age 25. Like what – you know, like, like what, what is the ideal path here? Jordan, I don't, you might not like me for answering the question sure. the way I'm about to answer it, but I just really think that that questions like that are, are representative of how we think of education, um, not just in the U S but everywhere. It's like, we imagine that there, there must be one right system, one right school system mm, or one yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. path. And it's like, okay. You know, people say, would you homeschool your own kids? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't met my kids yet. Uh, it's like, it depends okay. on who More this nuanced. kid is. Yep. It depends yep. on what their interests are. It depends on, you know, what answer. kind of schools are available yeah. at the, the moment that the kid is, is becoming school age. Uh-huh. And really, uh, what I l- wrote in my book is that whenever you think you have the right kind of educational solution for your kid, just add the words for now to the end of that sentence, yeah, yeah. because your kid is not going to be the same person, you know, in a couple of years, in a couple of years after that, their needs are going to change. The opportunities around them in the world are going to change your life as a parent and what you can offer to your kid is going to change. And so thinking of like a monolithic solution uh, for any kid is just, I think, probably bound to fail. It, we need to be like flowing in between the, public and private, traditional and unconventional, and just not afraid to go in and out of different uh, systems and approaches as they seem appropriate for the actual kid that you have in front of you. Well said. Good point. Blake, before I remind people where to find you and ask my final question, is there anything else that you still want to get out? Or, or are you good? You want to you go to the final question? Let's go to the final question. Yeah. Uh, so again, blakebowls.com, Blake Bowles on LinkedIn and, uh, blakebowls.com slash why you can get Blake's new book. Why are you still sending your kids to school? Blakebowls.com slash the letter Y. Blake, I thank you. I appreciate you. This has been a very fun conversation. Uh, I'm excited to put this out, uh, around the start of the, the school year. And, uh, I, I know I'm going to get a lot of comments on this one. And uh, so my final question is really ironic. Uh, this is the one I ask everyone as a final question, but for this episode, it's it's an interesting final question. Uh, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? That's a great question. I Thanks. actually started teaching a course um, for teenagers recently called Emailing Strangers. And the subtitle is a superpower for self-directed learning. And so, you know, I tell teenagers how to craft a a very nicely worded, you know, roughly three paragraph email to someone who they want to ask some questions. They want to like have some connection to, because I think that teenagers and perhaps all of us nowadays, you know, we're, we're so good at Googling things. We're so good at mining the internet for answers, but Often after we've picked the low-hanging fruit, um, you know, we have to go and actually connect with human beings in order to learn what we want to learn or to take the next step or to get, you know, customized advice. And so 
you have to be able to reach out to people. You have to, yes. be able to do these these old school, just like straightforward human connection things. And so, and I think teenagers are given the benefit of the doubt. You know, if you email some popular Instagram person um, and you're 13 years old and you say, hey, I'm just getting started in photography or whatever. Can, can I just like, you know, can I have 20 minutes of your time on Zoom? You're I think I benefited get... from that too as a 20 year old when I started this when I was 20. I think I yeah. really benefited from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would literally say I still I'm use 20 years today. old and, and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, you have to take advantage of, of, of being young while you're still young. Mm. And so, yeah, that's a class that I like to teach is uh, helping kids email strangers. They actually email people. And then when they get responses or they don't get responses, we workshop those. And uh, it's been really fun. That's wonderful. I think that's super valuable. Even, you know, in, in, in future, like, you know, if they have to, uh, you know, if they're, if they're in, you know, Maybe they're an entrepreneur in the future and they got to go uh, prospecting. I think like even even for that, it's just like it's just learning how to email strangers is a super valuable tool. Literally, literally anything you might need to do in life. It's like, how do you reach out? How do you create opportunities for yourself? It's like you have to you have to start sometime. And, and school is not going to help you with that, honestly. Blake Bowles, you're the man. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jordan. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.